times were very, very tough for God's people. In the 15th century before Christ, they were subjugated and conscripted to work and to work for the Egyptians to build their cities. Matter of fact, they built some pretty impressive places in the eastern delta of the Nile River. Uh, it became a part of the history of Egypt. I know if you grew up in church, you certainly heard many stories in Sunday school of the Israelites who were enslaved by the Egyptians. For hundreds of years, they were forced into hard labor. And yet the Sunday school curriculum and the cartoons, they just don't do justice to how oppressive and difficult that must have been. Even the uh, artistic renderings from the epic of that time uh, don't really fully carry the weight, the onerous weight of what it was like to be a slave in Egypt in the 15th century before Christ. Uh, It was uh, filled with physical abuse. It was filled with whipping and uh, pain as they were forced to do what uh, they did not want to do. They were enlisted to not only build their cities, but to see the culture the way that they saw it, which was that Pharaoh was a deity, that he was a God on earth. Think about the pressures of squeezing in this particular group of people who knew the true God of Abraham and were forced in so many ways to be denying the truth that they knew. And then to be out there building places that they were not even going to be able to live in or be a part of, to be conscripted to such difficulty. We pick up the story in Exodus, of course, that's how it's given to us with words like this, that they had taskmasters over them to afflict them. And look at this phrase, with heavy burdens. And that's how they went about building those store cities for Pharaoh in Pithom and Ramses. It was hard work. It was hard labor. It was painful. And they did it uh, day after day and week after week. It says in Exodus chapter 5, as they described this work, the synonym for it was a burden. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. We know it's onerous. We know it's hard. We know it's difficult. It's torturous, but uh, that's what you are. You're slaves and you're called to do it. Um, That's a good word for it, to, uh, to be a burden, to be heavy labor, to be the things that make life completely uh, painful and difficult. You're not your own. You're not free. And then you're called to do the kind of physical work without all the modern tools of construction to take what the Egyptian architects had designed and to go out there and to make it happen. Um, That heavy affliction, that heavy labor. Uh, Heavy is a good word for it because that was uh, really the primary thing the Hebrews were called to do is to make heavy objects, to make bricks. And at one point when they got on the wrong side of the leaders in Egypt, uh, they were forced even to go out there and get the materials to make those bricks. As Exodus 5 goes on to say, Pharaoh commanded, you shall no longer uh, give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. They're out in the field getting together the materials and then baking these bricks in the sun. It was bricks and more bricks and more back-breaking bricks every single day. Look at the way it's put here, the compounding descriptive of this work. You should by no means reduce the number of bricks. You've got to keep doing it, even though you've got to go get the straw to make them. Right? Your um, number of bricks, it says your daily task, as though you didn't get it with the word daily, each day, every day, seven days a week, 
uh, every single week after week and month after month and year after year, actually for uh, hundreds of years as the increasing pressure of the Egyptians took place upon the Israelites. They were not free, they were God's people, and yet they were enslaved in a foreign land and were doing the most difficult work. In that passage that we read at the outset here, um, that word right there in the center, heavy burdens. If you think that your job is to work with bricks all day, that your kids, your family members are all about moving these bricks around. This is the day before you could take Tylenol and Advil at the end of the day. This was back-breaking work. You were involved in it. Your teenage kids were involved in it. Your small kids were involved in it. It was day in and day out, moving bricks around without the help of all the mechanical means we might enlist today. Picture your young daughters carrying bricks around with uh, taskmasters enforcing this. Bricks and more bricks. This uh, not terribly hard for us to imagine because bricks is still pretty popular uh, building material these days. You can go past uh, some people's homes and see bricks or buildings. You see them made of, of bricks, and uh, bricks is something that you probably are used to. And um, I just think it would be good for us to uh, maybe uh, get one in your hands right now. So I'm going to have the ushers come down and uh, give you a brick. Uh, I want you to actually uh, hold it in your hands. It's going to make your hands dirty. It's gritty. It's heavy. Uh, but take it anyway. And I want you to look at this brick, and I want you to understand what your spiritual forefathers were forced every single day to work with. Imagine your life with nothing but moving bricks, making bricks, and constructing with bricks buildings and facilities that you would never be able to take advantage of. Bricks. Pastors are going to pass these down the aisles, and uh, I want you to pick one of these gritty bricks up and feel it with your hands. As a matter of fact, once you get it, um, hold it with your fingers and get your, uh, get your elbows off your lap and uh, just hold that out a little bit. And just imagine after 30 seconds, 45 seconds, that's uh, kind of onerous. If that's what my hands were calloused with day after day and week after week, and your family members were all conscripted to deal with their bricks. Now you say, why in the world are we messing with bricks on a good Friday at church in the 21st century? This is a strange thing to do. Well, remember what we're reading from. We're reading from the book of Exodus. And Exodus, by the way, is all about getting out of the brickwork, right? Exodus, we're exiting. This was about really in the New Testament, we might put it under the heading of the word redemption. Redemption, being bought out of the slave market where you are forced to do work that you don't benefit from that is nothing but oppression and work. It's nothing but onerous and heavy labor, affliction. To have bricks, I'll tell you what, there's nothing you'd want more than to leave Egypt and never see another brick for the rest of your life. You want your hands to heal from the kind of work that you've been involved in, engaged in, and you would, uh, you'd be done with the brick business. You wouldn't want it. And the reason it's good for us to hold a brick on Good Friday is because the concept of redemption in history in the 15th century BC was really a picture of the ultimate work that Christ came to do 1,450 years later. The work was to be done on a cross to deal with our problem of sin and provide us with redemption. And the concept of the heavy task, the onerous weight, the pressure of all the sin that Christ came to deliver us from is good to connect with this concept of something uh, uh, weighty and onerous. 
As a matter of fact, in the scripture, that connection is made. If you start looking for it, you'll start to see it everywhere. Like when David says in Psalm 38, for my iniquities, my sin, my transgressions, they've gone over my head like a heavy burden. I mean, that was the picture that they were used to. Their heads were hurting, their hands were hurting, their backs were hurting from carrying these bricks around. And here was this picture throughout the rest of the Old Testament and on to the New Testament, the weight of sin, the gravity of sin, the onerous precious nature of sin. Bricks. Good for you to feel that a little bit. Don't just lay it in your lap. Hang on to that. Feel that. And sense the weight of bricks as a metaphor for the problem of sin. Christ came to deal with all of that. It'd be good for us to make that connection in some uh, indelible way. That's why I gave you an indelible pin that that's there in the seat in front of you underneath. I'd like you to grab that Sharpie there, or if you're in the front rows, there should be one under your chair. And I'd like you to be bold enough to take the cap off of that permanent marker and make the connection between this brick and the problem Christ came to solve. As a matter of fact, let's personalize it. I'd like you to write two words on your brick. Ready? Here they are. My sins. My sins. The connection of iniquity, of transgression, of sins, of falling short of the glory of God is represented by this concept of this building material. You may say, well, this sounds kind of familiar. Matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I remember when you had this big wall erected in the middle of the auditorium. Do you remember that, that Good Friday? And on it, if you remember, as this wall came down, we had these big bricks there, these big stones in the wall, and we had inscribed on those, etched into them, we had uh, names of, of sin, right? We had hypocrisy and greed and pride and deceit and outbursts of anger and anxiety and all the things that weighed us down, the things that we've done, the kinds of, of cheating and stealing and blasphemies that we've been engaged in and every person has if they're just honest enough to think about it. And we said, well, as we were there in the middle of that Good Friday and that wall came down from the rafters of our church, we said, well, that's the picture of dividing us between our lives and God, this holy God and us as sinners. We have this wall, this barrier, as Isaiah 59, 2 says, our iniquities, our sins, they've made a separation between us and God. We looked at those bricks, we looked at those stones, we looked at the inscriptions of those sins, we said those acts are the things that, that provides this barrier, and that barrier is impenetrable until Christ comes and is able to take it away, and then we have the theological doctrine of reconciliation that me and God, hostile toward one another because of sin, are now brought together because Christ has removed the barrier, the dividing wall. And I trust that you have that lesson under your belt. You understand that. And while that's true and it's indispensable to the message of Good Friday, that's really not what I want you to think of here today. I want you to think even into the personal nature of what it's like to consider the weight of sin. Matter of fact, when the dividing wall is taken away, one good thing about it is we no longer have to bear the burden of it. The relief that comes from not bearing the burden, this good Hebrew word, asher, translated here, blessed. Asher is the man. Blessed is the man. Relieved is the man. How, how happy is the man whose transgression is forgiven. It's relieved. It's gone. Not only is the barrier gone, and now I can have a relationship with God, but uh, I no longer bear the weight of my sin. If I'm not willing to see it and admit it, if I try to, as David says, keep silent about my sin, well, then that's a problem. That's like working back in the brickyards of Egypt. 
When I keep silent, my bones were wasting away, my groaning all day long. And it's not just the sin, it's God leaning on top of night and day, day and night. It, It was like your hand was, here's the word, heavy upon me. I felt the weight of my sin. I hope that many of you here are honest enough, introspective enough, that God has been gracious enough for you to have your eyes open to see that sin is a weight. It's a, not just a barrier. It's a, it's a grievous little task. It's a, it's a burden. It's something that makes me feel like I'm not right before God. And David said, I, 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 need, that, I need that relieved. I need to have that forgiven. Many years in Sunday school, I hear the word yoke in church. I thought it was the yellow part of an egg. I didn't understand that the word yoke in Scripture is describing this device that was put over the shoulders of the beast of burdens and the ropes were attached to it and the plow was put behind it and they would plow the fields behind the oxen with a a yoke across the back. And when you really think about Jesus enlisting this, this, this analogy in Matthew 11, it's hard for us to really understand because in essence, it shouldn't on the surface make any sense. Picture what he says. He says, come to me, right? all who labor and are heavy laden. Right? There's the, the, the theme, the analogy, the picture, and it really harkens back to the Exodus. That's the idea. They were, they were ownersly enslaved to a, a kind of labor that was so heavy. It was a heavy burden, a heavy affliction. And he says, if you have that, right? metaphorically speaking, right? if you have that, you need, to, you need to come to me, and I will, give you, I will give you rest. I will give you relief. You won't have the burden anymore. As a matter of fact, my yoke, if you connect with me, is easy, and my burden is light. What's weird about that is there's no, there's no oxen you could interview if they could talk to you, and you say, well, let me yoke you up with this other oxen, and here's the thing, uh, you can then rest. No, that's not how it works, Right? There's no ease to this. I mean, if one, if one oxen is doing all the work and the other isn't, you're going you're to plow in circles. It doesn't work. You, you need, I can see where it helps. It would be nice to have a nice, strong worker next to me to, to pull this burden. But how is it that I yoke with you, which is a, a device of labor and burden, and it's not just that it's easier, but it's like rest. It's like relief. Right? Well, that's a picture of the reality of the prediction of what Christ came to do. If you put your life in alliance with my life, if we connect in this this covenant relationship, if you become mine, my disciples, you become children of God, then here's the thing. It's as though I've already done all the pulling. I've done all the work. I've I've taken the load. I've taken the labor. The heavy burden has, uh, has has been laid on me. Think of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. The burden is so onerous that it's described with this Hebrew verb, to be crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, Psalm 38 says, my iniquities, David says, feels like I'm being crushed by it. They're a weight upon my head, the heavy burden of my iniquities. And now we have the Holy One, the Innocent One, the Messiah, the Perfect One. He comes, and all of a sudden now we have a picture of Him being crushed by the iniquities. Well, wait a minute. He's, he's sinless. Right? He did no wrong. He went around doing good. No one could accuse Him of doing any sin. He was tempted in every way as we are, and yet He was without sin. How in the world are iniquities going to crush Him? 
Well, because that was the picture of his death. Right? His death was that he would come and be crushed for someone else's sins. Your sins and my sins, the weight and the heavy burden of sin that we carried now would be laid on him. And it's interesting as he went to the cross, he didn't go as some triumphant you know, martyr, even though he's a martyr, it, you know, it would be good if you were strong and you kind of did it and took it on the chin. But well, he didn't. As a matter of fact, as he was carrying his cross, naked and beaten and bloodied through the town, he ends up collapsing under the cross. He can't even carry the weight of the cross. He's completely put down. He's out. He's crushed under the weight of the cross. That's an interesting image. It's like all of the penalty of what should crush us now is crushing him. It's all, look at the next words, laid upon him, right? Upon him was what? Well, what was happening? Chastisement, punishment, the weight, the crushing weight of iniquity was placed on him. The chastisement was upon him. And that's what brought us rest. It brought us peace. It brought us the non-weight of being able to say, I don't bear it. I've yoked myself with Christ. Christ has had all the weight placed on him. And it's such a strong weight. Here's the word crushed. He's smashed. He's pressed. All the sins I commit end up being placed on him. Oh, it's one thing to think about the, the stones and the bricks of my sin being removed, but they don't just get removed up into the rafters of our building or just get poof into the sky and they disappear. The weight of our sin, it has to be paid for. It has to be borne by someone. And that's the picture. The picture of our sin laid on him. And it happened when he died on a cross. Good for you to hold a, a weighty brick that reminds you that your sin is the sin that is being paid for on his cross and he is being crushed by the weight of your iniquity. If you're sensitive to sin and you ought to be, you start to feel it like David did. You sense that, that, that crushing weight of guilt. And if you keep silent about it for any amount of time, like David, it's just like the fever heat of summer. It's like your, 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 your strength is drained from you. It's like you're, you're, you're just exhausted, like you're being afflicted by a taskmaster. And God's hand is heavy upon you. But the cross is a picture of Good Friday where Jesus gets crushed by the weight of sin instead of you. It's as though if that brick was to symbolize your sin, that brick, that sin is being placed on Christ at the moment of his torture and crucifixion on a Roman execution rack. He's bearing the weight so he can say, ally with me. I will have done all the pulling. I will have done all the burden. I will have had all the heavy task. All the heaviness will be laid on, on me. I know it's just a brick, but for hundreds of years, the Israelites, your spiritual forefathers, who trusted in the real God, the God of Abraham, they knew the weight of physical bricks that were to represent in this analogy the redemption that we need, the freedom that we need, the, the onerous weight of sin to be removed from our backs. Some people think God can just somehow look the other way when it comes to sin, but he has to have this sin dealt with. Good Friday is all about the cross absorbing that for us. And the man who was perfect, who was also God, 
in human form, taking on and absorbing all of the weight, not just of my sin, but of yours. I remember when I was designing and, and, and getting ready for this wall to be constructed, and I envisioned all these words on it of sin, and I, I just sat down in my study, and I just started writing, starting with my own, of course, like all the things that I can think of and the sins that I commit and the things that so easily trip me up. And it didn't take long till I had 20 and 30 and 35. And I started thinking of counseling appointments and all the work I do with Christians and people in our church and people I've led to Christ. And I, I, I got to like 52 on the list, just bam. And he said, here, right? Put these on the, on the, on the bricks and the stones of this wall. This is what divides us. And I thought to myself, it's that specificity that we need. As John 9 says, until we can, can see that we're blind, right? And it's an intentional, paradoxical state. Then, then, then we, can, we can be seen, right? If we can't see that we're blind, if we think that we're without sin, well, then, well, then the sin remains. We, we've got to be able to see our sin. Easy for you to write two words on that brick, my sins, did you write that on there with a permanent marker? My sins? But that's kind of an easy way out. And as a matter of fact, people that say, well, I know no one's perfect and I'm not either. I guess I'm a sinner like everybody else. It doesn't work until we're willing, as David said, to acknowledge my sin. If I was silent about my sin, I felt the weight. But when I acknowledged it and I spoke it and I confessed it, well, well then it was removed. What you really need on that brick is the specificity of the things that you and I can say, here are my sins. And I don't want you to think about the person you're sitting next to. I don't want you to think about the people you dealt with this week. I don't want you to think about the problem people at work or in your family. I want you to think about you. What sins have not only made a separation between you and your God, but when you're silent about them, it just compounds the guilt, the weight, the pressure that you know deserves the crushing justice of God. What are your sins? I would like for you to actually spend some time writing them on that brick. I got bricks with uh, six sides to them. So there's plenty of space. Write small. But I'd like you to be bold enough to write them down. This isn't to hang our dirty laundry out. I'm afraid the guy next to me is going to see it. Don't worry about that. You want to write it in code, write it in code. Write it in another language. But you ought to be able to do business with God and say, here are the things that so easily trip me up, things that I know put Christ on a cross. I would like you to write those down. I'm going to have Joseph come out. We're going to play some instrumental soft music. I just want you to spend time writing on those bricks. And then I want to give you two choices. you got two choices. You can take that brick with all those things, which I hope you're very determined to be specific about, and you can have a little souvenir from your Good Friday service here at Compass Bible Church. Put it in your purse, put it in your pocket, <laughs> put it on the dashboard of your car. Say, we learned about sin at Compass this Good Friday. You can take it home. Or, I'd prefer the second option, you'd be able to see the transfer of the penalty and the weight of your sin to be placed on Christ. That the cross 
will take the weight of your sin, as crushing and horrific as that is, that when he was beaten and spat upon, when he had a whip tearing his back, when he had people walking by jeering him as he was nailed naked on a cross outside of Jerusalem, that the weight of your iniquities were thrown at him. I'd prefer that you have your sins left here. I'd prefer that you take your sins when you write them on a brick. I'd love for you to come up to the crosses that I had designed to make some noise and say, my sin crushed him on his cross. And then I'd like you to exchange the weightiness of that brick, which I still hope you're holding up and feeling the weight of, and exchange it for the much lighter elements of this juice and this unleavened bread that represent the reason your sin can be left on the cross. This symbol of the body and blood of Christ. And say, I've exchanged my sin for Christ. I've allied with him. I've been yoked with him. And I'm leaving my sin here. And I don't bear the weight of it anymore. And I'm forgiven. A lot of people try to take their sin and see if they can mark out that permanent marker or maybe I can paint it. Right? You need to take your sin, be so clear about what it is, and take that as, as, as painful as that is and, and let the cross of Christ absorb that. Hey, Grandma, don't set it in here. Once you write on that, and you take three, four, five, seven minutes to contemplatively and penitently think through your sin, come up here and make sure you, you toss it in here. Let it make a noise. And once you get the elements of the Lord's Supper, I'd like you to go back to your seat. And if you're outside and overflow, come in. Go back to your seat. I'd like for you then, when you uh, are hearing the audible sound of the sins of our church and the individuals of our church dropping the weight of their sin on the cross of Christ, then when you're ready, we won't do it at one time, when you're ready, then you take the bread and you take the cup and you ingest those elements. You clean your hands off and you leave. We'll sing a song before you leave, but I want you to leave this building at the end of our service without the weight of sin on your, on your hands. It's done. That's the forgiveness that the Good Friday theology provides. So take about three, four, five, you need seven, eight minutes. Take that time, write on your brick, come up to the cross. Don't set it in there. Drop it in there. Take the elements of the Lord's Supper. We've got four stations here. Pastors will be up here giving the elements. Get back to your seat. Listen. Listen to the crushing weight of sin on Christ and be so grateful that he took the penalty of sin for you. Joseph's going to play. You spend time with God. Then we're going to sing one final song. And then you're going to leave, I hope, without a brick in your hand. That's the goal.